0: Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, we try to, whenever COVID kicked in pretty strong, uh, we never shut the church down, by the way, during COVID, we stayed open the whole time, almost killed half of us, but we stayed open the whole time, Uh, I caught COVID, so a lot of us caught COVID, but the Lord seemed fit to see us through it, and here we are, but we never did shut down during COVID, but during that time, We did something that I didn't want to do. I fought against it. I fought every way I could keep from having it, but y'all talked me in. some of y'all, I'm not going to mention any names, talked me into getting us on Facebook, live-streaming it, so if you you were at home or couldn't make it up here, you could still keep up with what was going on in the church, so we are still, to this day, live-streaming. We do it through uh, Facebook, and we do it through YouTube. A lot of times, we get kicked off of YouTube because I mentioned something about COVID, and they kick me off of YouTube. But a lot of them get up on YouTube and stay up on YouTube. So if you miss a Sunday and I'm preaching through this book of Revelation and you miss a Sunday or something happens, you're out of town or whatever, you should be able to find it up on on Facebook or YouTube unless they kick us off. And I take that as a badge of honor when they kick me off of YouTube. I do. I take that as a badge of honor. I'm like, I I tell all my pastor friends, yeah, I got kicked off YouTube. You know, like I'm bragging about it, you know. But uh, I guess I kind of am, but... uh, Uh, And I'm pretty lenient. I mean, I'm not not hard about uh, the vaccines and stuff like that. But like I just mentioned that twice. I've mentioned that twice now. Watch this get kicked off. But you're here, so amen. You're going to get to hear it. We're going to go through it together. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden stars candlesticks. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to you, Father, and opening up your book, opening up your word, Lord, we believe every bit of it. We believe every word, every letter, Lord God. Help us, Father, to understand it, though, as we go through this book of Revelation, Lord, a lot of these things are higher than us, uh, wiser than us, Lord God, and we're going to need your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and direct us this morning. Father, I pray, Lord, that there's somebody, at least the sound of my voice, Lord, that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, Father, I pray, Lord, As we give this invitation at the end of this service, Lord God, that come on down and get saved, Lord God. And I thank you, Father, that salvation is so simple, Lord, that we just put our faith in Jesus Christ, Lord God, and you'll save us, and we thank you for that. And I'm praying all this in the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So what's going on here is John has seen a vision, and Jesus Christ shows up, and he shows up in this vision as a judge. He's showing up. Not he's no longer this lamb. He's no longer this suffering prophet. He shows up as a high priest, as soon to be a king, and he shows up as a judge. And as he shows up, he tells John, "These seven candlesticks are seven churches, and I want you to write." this letter to the seven churches, and he names them out, and that's what we're going to study here. So when you go into Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, what you're going to have going on here is these are the seven, le- these are the seven churches, and he's going to write to each one of them, and he's got something specific to say to each one of these seven churches. And what you'll realize when you study this out, and I've been studying Revelation for 25 years, what you'll find out when you study this out is that these letters and these churches represent real distinctly church history. So... If you go to Ephesus and you go to Smyrna and you go to Pergamos and you go to Thyteria, as you're going through these different churches he's writing to, and I'll point this out as, I, as we preach through it, you're going to see the church history. and You're going to see the history of the church as it grows up into what it is today, which is total apostasy. But as it begins, you're going to see, and Jesus Christ is writing to the seven churches. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of great, incredible stuff about the book of Revelation. And I love the book of Revelation, but I'm here to tell you, and you might not understand this now, but if you study it long enough and you study the Word of God like I have long enough, you'll understand what I'm about to say. There's nothing more important to you this morning than Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. Now, Revelation chapter 13, you got the mark of the beast. You've got a lot of stuff that's going on in the world today. You'll seeing that going on in the world today. It's important. It's interesting. It's really uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's fun to study. It really is fun to study. But what you have going here in chapter 2 and chapter 3 is you've got your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, writing to you that's sitting in a church. See, when you study the book of Matthew, you study the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what what happens is you get to study, and this is true doctrinally, Jesus Christ is writing, I mean, Jesus Christ is speaking through a lot of those Gospels to Jews, to a Jewish Jew, and it's to Jews, and he's writing to Jews and speaking to Jews, and there's a very Jewish slant to it. And and a lot of that doesn't apply to us today. Some of that stuff in Matthew doesn't apply to a Christian living in 2022. But when you get to Revelation chapter 2, you can't get around any of that. This is Jesus Christ resurrected New Testament writing to Christians that are in a church. It's for us and there's no way to deny it. You can't doctrinally or get in the scholarly and get in there and say, okay, well, this doesn't belong here. This belongs to a Jew. He's writing and speaking to Jews. No, this is to a church, to you guys that are sitting in a pew this morning. This is everything he's got to say to you. And I'm here to tell you, a lot of it's not very good. And he's going to commend some of them. He's going to say, hey, you're doing a good job here. And sometimes he's going to say, you're not doing a good job at all right here. You need to do better. So what you're going to find out in chapter 2 and chapter 3, and I encourage you to follow along with me, is you're going to find out this is the Jesus Christ that you need to know. This is the Jesus Christ and his personality you need to understand and get to know. This is Jesus Christ that we need to understand. Because when you hear a lot of stuff going on on TV and in the movies, they can't... portray Jesus Christ like He's going to be betrayed here, and we need to understand that. So let's get back into it. Chapter 2. That's a long intro, but it's a very important intro. Chapter 2 verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now notice every church has its own angel, just like I believe that the Indian Gap Baptist Church God has put an angel over this church. As long as the Holy Spirit's here, as long as there's a candlestick here, as long as the Holy Spirit's moving in this church, God will assign an angel to this church. Until the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Ephesus. Ephesus means full purpose. The word Ephesus means full purpose. And this church is going to represent from 33 A.D. to right around 200 A.D. of church history. Now, when I say A.D., that's anal. Ain't no Dominus, the year of our Lord. Ain't no annual, ain't no annual, Dominus, Domini, Lord, the year of our Lord. So whenever you hear people say like 1977 AD, that's 1977 years of the year of our Lord. That's how long it's been. Now, we say BC. BC means before Christ. So you have when Christ comes into the earth you have before Christ we we calculate that up and we go backwards like 2000 years before Christ and after that AD it doesn't mean after death but that's a good way to remember it but that's not what AD means it doesn't mean after death it means it's a Latin term meaning anno dominus which means the year of our lord so you got So what happens nowadays If you look in a Discovery Channel, you look at all the science magazines, they don't like to say AD and they don't like to say BC. They say, have y'all seen this? They'll say CE, Common Era, E-R-A. They'll say Common Era. They'll say CE or BCE, before the Common Era. Have anybody seen that? Some of y'all shaking your head, some of y'all raising your hands. They'll say BCE or CE, the Common Era, or before the Common Era. What are they doing? They're trying to take Jesus Christ out. They always try to take Jesus Christ out. But here's the problem. I don't care if you're an atheist in here this morning. I don't care if you're a devout atheist. If you're whatever year you were born, it was a year of our Lord. And our Lord is Jesus Christ. And you can say CE, you can say Daffy Duck, you can say whatever you want, Mickey Mouse. It doesn't matter what you say. There's a reason why there's a BCE and there's a CE. There's a reason why there's a BC and an AD. There's a reason why there's a Mickey Mouse and a Daffy What's that in between? What they don't tell you in high school and they don't tell you in the colleges is that's Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter if you're an atheist or what you are. You're still going by what the Lord wants you to go by. And that's the birth of His Son, Jesus Christ. Man, that's good stuff. They can't get around it. They don't like it, but it's there. It's a hard pill to swallow, but swallow it because it's the truth. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. The Lord's walking among us. And I pray the Lord, and I do pray this sometimes. I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, I know you're not welcome anywhere. But this morning, you're welcome in this church. Please come in and sit with us. And I pray that. I really do pray that. Verse 2, this is what he has to say to you all guys this morning. I know thy works. Ooh, I don't like that. Now, some of y'all might brag and say, well, I'm glad the Lord knows what I'm doing. I, I hope the Lord kind of forgets half of what I'm not doing. I know thou works in thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou, thou canst not bear them which are evil. He said, I know you. And this is, remember, the, this is the beginning of church history. This is Ephesus. And he goes, I know what you're doing. I know your labor. I know your patience. And he knows one thing about them. I know thou canst not bear them which are evil. they're judging evil in the church now remember this is written to the churches and this is what the church should do the church should judge evil we should judge evil among ourselves if we see somebody's doing something really evil we should be able to go to them hey brother hey sister you can't be living like that now see this isn't popular preaching See. I'm I'm not, old enough, to, I'm not I'm old enough to have seen a little bit of this, but I know a lot of y'all that are a lot more grayer than me know more about this. There was a time in churches where they would church you. What does that mean? That's where they would take you. And if you didn't do what they, they thought you were doing something evil, they would say, you're not welcome in the church, leave. Brother Adams is saying amen. He remembers some of that going on. I was in a church that that happened in one time. This one lady, they called her a Jezebel. I didn't even know what that meant. That's not good. Is that right? I don't know. But they were judging the evil, and Christ has commended them for that. He goes, and, and he goes, and, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Of course, we're living in a, a day and age where evil is good and good's evil. What we know is good according to the Word of God, the world calls evil. So, you know, there's no, uh, there's no judging in the churches today, amen. None, of, none at all. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and has found them liars. What it's saying is that church there, Ephesus, was doing a good thing. They were judging those people that were evil and saying, hey, we're not bearing you anymore. You need to get out from among us. We don't want your evil. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. You need to get out of here. And there's another thing they were doing, and what they were doing is they had these apostles. And an apostle in the Word of God is a man that showed an apostle showed that he was an apostle by signs and wonders that the Lord was giving him. He would do these signs and wonders and he would show that he was an apostle. And he says that they, you tried them, which say they're apostles, and are not, has found them liars. What it was is that church was recognizing the fakers and the liars and running them off. And it, moder- it bothers me to no end that modern day Christians are, so, are fooled by so many fakers and liars in the church. The Christians are some of the most gullible... Maybe because I, 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 I lived a pretty rough lifestyle before I got saved, so it's real hard to fool me with the fakers and the liars. But a lot of Christians are fooled by the fakers. All they have to do is get up, they have a big old smile, they paid about $10,000 for their teeth, and it's a big old white smile, and they fake it all the way, and they get all your money, and then you turn around and say, but they're man, a man of God. This church didn't put up with that. This church would go, hey, you're a faker and a liar. You need to get out of here. Now remember, this is the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This isn't Brother Keegan. Pre- this is, I'm just reading you what, what he's saying is happening. Look at verse 3. And has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. That's one thing we need to remember in this church is are we doing what we're doing for the name of Jesus Christ? Or are we doing it for the name of Indian Gap? Are we doing it for the name of our sake because we're associated with this church? What are we doing what we're doing for? We should be doing everything we do and laboring everything we labor for for the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. The name they don't want to talk about. Praise God. Did you see, I know y'all didn't watch the Cowboys last night. If you did, uh, God bless you, you need to be repented of. But uh, did you see Trayvon Diggs' son, little boy? I think he's like five, six years old. They had him up there. They were doing some kind of press conference. They had that little boy up there, and he's up on a stool. And he says, I love, I love the world. And he said, I love my family. He goes, I love God, and I love Jesus. And I thought, wow, I'm, he's lucky they didn't cut him off. Out of the mouth of babes comes the truth. He's the one that's brave enough to say, Jesus... <laughs> Verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Thou hast left thy first love. So he's commending them. He's commending them. He's saying, y'all are doing a good job. Y'all are judging people that are evil. You're kicking out the fakers and the liars. But I have something against you. Nevertheless, have something against you. You've left your first love. You've left thy first love. What is your first love? Your first love, Christians, should be Jesus Christ and this book. That's your first love. Now, some of y'all might be like this. Some of you are not. I don't know. But I know when I got saved, it was such an amazing experience for me. When I got saved, this weight of sin that I had lived in for years had been lifted off my shoulder. And when I took Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, it changed me. I mean, from the inside out, it changed me. And when it changed me, I had this immense love. Before, I mocked church. I mocked. That singing those old hymns. I mocked everything about Christians. I made fun of Christians, and when I got saved, I had this great love for everything that had to do with God. I wanted to find out as much as I could about this book. I wanted to read as much as I could. I wanted to go to every time the church was open. I wanted to go to church. I wanted to hear as much preaching as I could get. I was in love with Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, well, you've lost something, and you've lost you've lost your first, your first love. You, uh, you married couples in here, you remember when you first got, uh, started dating each other? Or can y'all even remember then? Remember how he would open up the door for you? <laughs> Come here, baby, let me get this for you. He was so sweet to you. He'd do all kinds of nice things for you, and now he's in the car. Hurry up, I'm ready to get out of here, you know. <laughs> I was in Walmart. Yeah, I, I made the biggest mistake of my life. I was so bored being laid up for so many days because of my procedure. I followed my wife to Walmart like a fool, and I was following her around, and I said, well, I'm gonna go over here and look over here, so I got off by myself, and I was like a little kid lost. I'm like, oh man, just, just don't hit me, don't. And this couple comes by me, and I could hear them before they come by me, like, just, just bickering. Here they go like that, and I was like, here, and I look over, and it's a nice looking couple. They were like in their 40s, well put together. It wasn't like I expected them to look like one of them would have blue hair, the other one would have green and, you know, you know look tattoos. No, they were just a respectable-looking couple. And he was like, well, I told, you what to, I told you not to do that. And she goes, I'll tell you one thing. If I say to do it, we're going to do it and everything. And she got her son following around. And I'm like, "Woo!" And all the way down there, just. Ock, 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 ock. And he was just turning around. Rawr, 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 rawr. And I'm thinking, I wonder if that's what he did to get, win her love. Say, hey, will you marry me now? I don't think that's how it went. You remember how you treated her? You remember how you treated him? Jesus Christ says, remember your first love and get back to falling in love with me. Some of the best advice I ever got from a preacher friend of mine, Brother Chad Reese, and I'm bringing... Brother Chad Reese is going to be coming in in September to preach... Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and when it gets closer, I'll start announcing it, but Brother Chad Reese is coming in, but when I was going through the darkest moment of my ministry, when I was living at the very bottom of the barrel, I remember calling Brother Chad and talking to Brother Chad, and Brother Chad was so sweet to me, he said, Brother Keegan, he said, I I don't know what to tell you, Brother, I don't know your situation, only you and the Lord knows, but he said, I'm going to give you some advice, I said, tell me, Brother, I said, I I need something, I need anything, Brother, and this is what Brother Chad Reese told me, he said, Brother, uh, you just need to fall back in love with Jesus Christ. You need to just fall back in love with Jesus Christ. That was great advice. And maybe some of us in here, we just need to fall back in love with Jesus Christ. Verse 5. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. He's threatening verse 5 to remove the church, the candlestick. He said, if you don't get right with me, I'll just remove the candlestick. You see some of these churches, they're growing, everything looks great. Then they get away from the Lord. They forget what they're serving. They're supposed to be serving Jesus Christ. They forget their first love. And before long, that church just kind of dwindles down. It kind of dwindles down. kind of dwindles down. And then the Lord takes the candlestick out, according to verse 5. Verse 6. But this thou hast, uh uh-oh, uh-oh, this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Woo! Strong words. That's our Savior Jesus Christ. He said it. I didn't go into your into your house last night and write those words in your Bible. They're already there. Jesus Christ hates some things. And what does he hate? He says he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He said, And you're doing a good job because you hate them too. What is that? Nicolaitan. Nico means to conquer. Nico means to conquer. Laity is like, laity like the people. To conquer the people. What was going on, guys, when you study that out, conquering the people was that there was a religious group that was lording it over other people. There was a system, a religious system of starting to rise in the church even at that time where you had people where the preachers and the ministers were putting themselves above the people and they expected the people to serve the preachers and they serve the ministers. And Jesus Christ hates that. When, I'm not a reverend. The only reverend in the Bible is the Lord God. He's reverenced. I'm a minister. That means I'm a servant to you guys. I'm supposed to serve you. You're not supposed to serve me. I'm supposed to wait on you. You're not supposed to wait on me. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ proved that and showed that when he washed the disciples' feet. And he said, this is my example. If I'm your Lord and I'm your master and I wash your feet, you show that's your example. He said the Gentiles, they have people that are above them and above them and above them. It's not that way. In my church, Jesus Christ says, the highest one, the top one of you guys is at the bottom. He took it so far as to say when we get to heaven, the last will be first and the first will be last. There's going to be some of these people that are up on TV right now with those big white teeth and they'll get up into heaven and they're going to be walking towards the front of the line and Jesus is going to stop and say, hey boy, get to the back. You see that dear old saint right there? See that dear old saint that sit there in that church and served me? Send her up here to the front. Send her, the one that went to visit the people in the hospital, the one that went to visit the people in the nursing homes, the one that fed the poor, the one that prayed to me, the one that lived the holy life and tried to do what's right. You send her or her up here. And you, you get back there to the back. Christ hates that stuff. And you're seeing it already starting to form in the church This laity where, hey, you're below me and you need to serve me. Christ doesn't like that at all. There's nothing special about me, brothers and sisters. The only thing is I I maybe have studied this Bible a little bit more, but you can too. I'm not showing you or giving you or showing you or telling you anything you can't find out for yourself if you decide to open up this book and read it and study it. Trust me, I've had some of y'all stop me and say, hey, you are right on that. And sometimes y'all are right. Amen. All right. But notice he says hate. I know I grew up with a mom. My sister's sitting in the church. I grew up with a mom and said, you know, we're not supposed to hate things. I wish I'd have seen this verse here. I would have showed this to her. Well, the Lord, Jesus hated things. Why can't I hate things? I hate school. See, it's good. Gibson? Study your Bible, boy. You can use it against your mama, right and left. Verse 7. He that hath the ear to let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, to him that overcometh will he give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Overcoming. Eating of the tree of life. What's that? Isn't that amazing that you're at, we're at the very back of our Bible, and what's mentioned? The tree of life. That's all the way at the front. That's what Adam and Eve didn't get to eat of anymore. Why? Because they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they had to get kicked out. Why? Because if they continued to eat of the tree of life, they would be in their sin for eternity. Eternally. Eternal life. Because they had access to the tree of life. And now Christ is saying at the end of this book, because it comes full circle, He says, now that you put your faith in me, now you're part of me, now I'll let you eat of that tree of life of life. Now you might have been listening along, or you might have been reading along, you might have seen that overcometh, and you might be in your mind saying, how am I going to overcome? I'll show you, I'll show you in a minute. Let's continue on, verse 8, let's go to the next one. Verse 8, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna, now Smyrna, Smyrna is part of myrrh. Smyrna is a, it means myrrh. Myrrh is an embalming agent. They used to embalm people. So what you're going to happen here, and this this was going to represent uh, 200 A.D. up to about 325 A.D. of church history. This is the part of church history at Smyrna, the myrrh, the. The death, the burial. This is where more Christians were killed probably at any time in church history. In this little 100 to 125 year period. This is when Nero, because Christianity was starting to take off like crazy. Nero was taking Christians and he would, along a road, he would crucify Christians along a road. And then he would set them on fire. He would set them on fire while they were alive just to light up the road. That's what he's doing with Christians. Then they were taking Christians and putting them into arenas and having the lions eat them having to fight gladiators. The gladiators were killing them. And that's when, I believe it was Nero stood up and he said, man, these Christians die well. There were more martyrs for Jesus Christ at this time. There was more bloodshed for Jesus Christ at this time. And Jesus Christ is going to mention this in verse 8. And so the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive, I know thy works. There it is again. I know thy works. And tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. Amen. i like to hear that. The Lord says, I know you're poor, but you're rich. Amen. You know, when we get to the end of this, it won't be this morning, but when we get to the end of these letters, when he's writing to the last church age, the church age that me and you are living in today, the Laodicean church age, Christ says, you think you're rich, and you think you're wealthy, but you're poor, and you're naked, and you need to repent. And here he's saying to this first church age Christian, he's saying, "I know you're suffering, I know your tribulation, and I know that you're in poverty, but you're rich." Amen. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. He had some fakers in the church still. And they were claiming to be Jews, but they weren't Jews, and they are what Christ says in verse 9. This is Christ They are the synagogue of Satan. Do you know there's churches of Satan around here? Do you know that Satan has his churches? See, a lot of the world has this funny idea about Satan that that Satan is working in the bars and in the whorehouses and all these weird, crazy places of sin like in Las Vegas. No, that's not the devil. That's mankind. Sin of mankind. Where the devil works is in the religious realm. The devil works in the churches. The devil has his own church. He has his own ministry. He has his own preachers. He has his own Jesus. If you don't understand that, study the Book of Mormon. He has his own everything. It's a fake. He's a faker. And he has his own synagogue of Satan. He has his own church. And Jesus Christ is mentioned in it. Verse 10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. This is a suffering church. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. But thou be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He's talking about the suffering of this church age and of this church. You know, if you study this out in church history, there was ten great persecutions. It says tribulation for ten days. There's, there was ten great persecutions, and I can't give you all the names of these uh, uh, the, uh, the Neros and the uh, Caesars, and they had all these different persecutions where they were just extreme persecution, killing out the Christians by the hundreds of thousands, slaughtering them. And that's what he's kind of—that's kind of what this implies: a tribulation of ten days, and that ten is a number of, of of the Gentiles. But he says, "If they be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life." There's rewards waiting on you. Some of y'all are suffering. Some of y'all have had to give up a lot for Jesus Christ. Some of y'all have family members that don't have nothing to do with you because you took Jesus Christ. Some of you have your, some of y'all have family members that mock you for going to church. Some of you have family members that mock you for having a Bible. Some of y'all go to. Thanksgiving dinners and Christmas dinners, and you have to sit there at the table, and everybody else is talking about drinking and carousing and womanizing and whoring around and talking about everything but God, and when you peep peep up and say, well, I went to church, they look at you like you're a a green alien from outer space. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are suffering, but there's rewards waiting on you. And he said, hey, if you'll hang in there, I'll give you a crown of life. What would you do with the crown of life up in heaven? Well, this is what you'll do. The Bible says you're going to take that crown and you're going to have a chance to place it at the feet of Jesus. Say, Lord, I don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it back to you. Praise God. I'd love to be able to give back something to Jesus because he's done so much for me. Verse 11, he, hath ear, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So the Holy Spirit's talking to us through the church, through the preaching, through the words. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Now the second death, that's found in Revelation chapter 20. That's when you're resurrected the second time, judged, and then sent to a devil's hell. As a Christian, we're part of the first resurrection. That first resurrection, we've already been judged at the cross. We've already, been, we've already been judged by, by God at the cross through the blood of Jesus Christ. It covers us. When we're resurrected, we're resurrected in Jesus Christ. We don't have nothing to worry about. The second resurrection, and we'll get into this when I preach about it, is that second death. You're resurrected. Your body's resurrected. You come up for God. You judge for your sins. They look for your, bo- your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's not going to be there. And then they cast you into the devil's hell. And the Bible says in Revelation 20, 15, this is the second death. But notice it says, And the churches, look, he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Well, brother, I want to know how to overcome. I studied this out because when I was reading this, when I was studying this as a young man, I would read overcome, and I'm like, have I overcome? Because this is Jesus Christ speaking to me in the church, and I would think to myself, have I overcome? And I know there might be some of y'all in here this morning are thinking to yourself, Uh, Pastor, have I overcome? Well, let's find out how to overcome. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. Now, if you turn to the left, you'll find 1 John pretty quick. It's right before Jude, right before Revelation. You'll find 3 John, 2 John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Have I overcome? Good question. Christ says if you've overcome... You won't taste of the second death. You won't be hurt by the second death. I want to overcome, so I'll show you how to overcome. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. And I'm taking my time because I'm praying and hoping that you'll be able to follow me along in the scriptures, in your Bible. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Let's look at this first. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Overcome the Antichrist. Overcome the spirit of the Antichrist is what he's referring to. Overcome the the world, the false prophets. Year of God, little children, and have overcome them. All those I just mentioned. Why? Because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Who's in you? The Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians. Christ in you. Christ in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Yeah, the devil's strong. Yeah, the devil has power. Yeah, there's unclean spirits. There's the satanic forces. You're seeing it work in the White House. You're seeing it work all in China and Russia. You're seeing all this take place. And you're like worried about it a little bit. And you're like, man, that's some strong forces. And the Bible reminds you, hey, you've overcome. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You got something pretty good in you. You got the creator of the universe in you. You know who created the devil? The one that's in you. The one that's allowing the devil to do what he's doing is the one in you. Hey, he's got a plan. You don't worry about it. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But Brother Keegan... I still don't feel like I've overcome. Well, neither have I. So look at chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 4. Let's find out how to overcome. Let's find out how to overcome. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Let's find out how to overcome. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Are you a born-again believer in Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. Can you, say you're born, you, can you say you've been born again? Well, I mean, not everybody can say that. You know, I have a friend, uh, Gabriel Diaz, dear brother in Christ. He needs to get right with God, but one time he was dealing with a Catholic lady, a Catholic friend of ours. He was dealing with her, and he was talking to her about Jesus Christ. You know what she said? Her, her face got real twisted, and she looked at him, and she said, You're one of them born-again believers. He said, Yes, I am. I'm afraid. She said it like he was the devil. You're one of them born again, believe me. Yeah, yeah, I'm born again. I've trusted in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. He's living in me, the hope of glory. Why do you say stuff like that? Because I read my Bible. And I study my word. Just like Jesus Christ told me. And he said, you've left your first love. Your first love should be me and my words. See, I've said that and said that and said that. And I hadn't showed it to you. And I'm hoping I can find it. And I'll find it. Because I want to read it to you. Because I don't think, I don't know if you. Uh... Jesus answered, saying to him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. That's John 14, 23. Jesus Christ says, If a man love me, this is Christ. This is John chapter 14, verse 23. If a man love me, he will keep, he will keep my words. If you love Jesus Christ, you're going to keep His words. That's where the Catholics fall down. And not all Catholics are lost, but a lot of them are, is they don't keep Jesus' words. They keep the tradition of the church. And they forget about the words of Jesus Christ. And he says, if, you, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why? Because I love Jesus and I keep His words. How do you overcome? How do you overcome? 1 John 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory. Victory in Jesus. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You have faith in Jesus Christ? Well, Brother Keegan, it says faith. It doesn't matter what faith. You might have Mormon faith. You might have Buddhist faith. You might have Hindu. It's just faith, Brother Keegan. You've got to understand what the Bible's trying to say. It means any kind of faith. Keep reading, my friend, verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. There it is. That's your faith. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe He died for your sins? Do you believe He was buried, resurrected, came up the third day, never to die again? Have you put your faith in a resurrected Savior? You're going to overcome the world. Right. Amen. You got it right there. You got it right there. Let's turn back to Revelation. Boy, I'm right on time. Is that enough for today? Is that enough, for today? Is that enough hammering for the day? We got another letter we could read. We got another letter we could read. <coughs> Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to stop there. I don't want to wear y'all guys out. I appreciate y'all coming in here this morning. I want to ask you a good, honest question Can you say I've overcome the world? Can you say I've put my trust completely in Jesus Christ? Can you say there was a time, can you think of a time that you said in your heart, I want to take Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? You know, we're not talking about getting baptized. We're not talking about going to Sunday school or going to church or giving in an offering plate. We're not talking about any time like that. We're talking about a simple time that it was in your head, you had the head knowledge that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And you had the head knowledge, you knew that he was buried And he came up the third third day. You you understand that. You've got the head knowledge. You believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. But there was a time that that head knowledge got right down in here to the heart. And you said, I want to take him as my Lord and Savior. And you put your heart on Jesus Christ. You say, I want to be saved. Why do you want to be saved? Because when you're being saved, you're being saved from something. You know you're a sinner. You know, somebody, you know you're somebody who should be condemned. And that if you stand before God in your own sins, you would be condemned. And you need, a, you need somebody who will get you out of it. You need a lawyer. You need a good advocate. And Jesus Christ is all of that. He's been all of that for me. And there was a time when I was about 17 years old when I knew I was a sinner and I was sitting in a church a lot like a church like this and I heard the preacher preach a lot like what I'm preaching right now and I said in my heart, I need and want to get saved. I want to put Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I just walked down an aisle just like a church like this. I went to the front and I said, uh, Brother Packer, I want to get saved. And I'm here to tell you, it's the best decision ever made in my life. Have I been a good Christian? Not by a long shot. (laughs) Have I done everything I'm supposed to do? Not by a long shot. I've embarrassed me. I've embarrassed my family. I've embarrassed Jesus Christ on a daily basis. But here's the truth. He said, any that come unto me, I'll in no wise cast out. And I came to Jesus Christ as a filthy, rotten sinner. And he took me and he hugged me and he said, I love you. And he's never let me go. That's the Savior I know. And that's why he has a right to say, hey, I expect some more out of you. Your works are not where it should be. I want some more out of you. That's why he has a right to do that. Because he's given everything to me. And he's worth everything I've ever done for him. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus Christ, Lord. I thank you for your words, Lord God. And I pray, Father, that as we've read through the words that you've written to us, Lord God, that we would comprehend them and understand them and take them to heart. And, Father, I pray, Lord God, I don't want anybody in here to go to hell, Lord God. I know that you came on this world not to show us how to live a better life, Lord, but you came down in this world, Lord God, to die for us. And, Lord, there's people in this room that you died for, Lord. We thank you, Father, for dying for us, shedding that precious blood on the cross, Lord God, that we might take it. And apply it to our souls, Lord God, and we might get saved, Lord. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us and directs us, Lord God. And I thank you for these people, Lord, that came out this evening and this morning that could be anywhere else, Lord, but they chose to come out this morning to hear your word, Lord God, and to be around other people that love you. And Lord, I thank you for that, and I pray you bless them. And bless them for that, Lord. And I'm praying all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church That you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. upon him